is my pleasure and great honor to introduce author, lecturer, and student and teacher of hidden history, David Icke. Mr. Icke, welcome. Thank you, Lee. So, so uh, I have so much to talk to you about. I'm a huge fan and have been very influenced by your work ever since I saw a lecture you did years ago about the roundtable groups. You remember that bit of your, your teaching used to do? Oh yeah, 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 I remember all that. Yeah, that's back in the 1990s, I, I was doing that. Yeah, it's uh, incredibly relevant to today still. Yes, I, I agree. And I, as a reporter, I've covered Russiagate and actually a lot of that stuff is relevant to Russiagate in a very specific way I'd like to talk to you about. But first, I was preparing for this and I, I began to Google you a little bit and the current narrative on you. And I've seen, you've been censored quite a bit lately. Gee, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, like massively, yeah. And it seems to me, one of the stories that they talk about, there's two main stories. And one of them is a story that I was able to confirm was a lie just by watching the interview. It's a famous blue jogging suit interview from decades ago where they said that you claimed you were the son of God. And all I did was I watched the interview and that is 100% false. You do not claim that. In fact, you interrupt the interviewer several times to say, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we're all children of God, which is quite different than claiming that you're the son of God, right? Yeah, my, my philosophy on life is that um, we are all expressions of one infinite whole, but we are unique expressions of it because our, if you like, consciousness, point of attention, experience has been different to others. So we have different uh, views on life and, and, and on the world, but, Ultimately, we're all expressions of one unified force, which some people call God, some people call other names, but uh, it's always um, it's always struck me how many things that different religions have in common rather than the divisions that drive them apart. Uh, so yeah, we're all expressions of, of the one whole, but... Um, you know, if you're trying to discredit someone, well, you know, distort that. That's what happened. And and the other one that comes up, which I'll let you explain, is the lizard people one. The reptile. I know many people when I mentioned I was going to be interviewing on Twitter, I got a bunch of people talking about the reptile. I've never personally heard you. No one said, oh, he's the guy who did the great thing on the roundtable groups. So this is a way I, I think of smearing you. Do you want to, what, what do you say about the smear against you about reptile people? Well, I don't take it to be a smear. I take it to be an expression of the ignorance that so many people unfortunately spend their entire lives living in. Um, what happened, Lee, is that when I started to understand in the 1990s uh, that the people that were 
directing world events were not the people that we thought were directing them. They weren't presidents and prime ministers and the people in uh, uh, elected authority. That, that was a, there was a network behind them, working through them, some knowingly being worked through, mostly not knowingly, uh, and that there was an agenda for the world that this um, network was um, driving and heading towards. And um, if people read my, my earlier books, uh, they'll see that current events were uh, not predicted then because it's not really predicting. It's not about sitting in a darkened room, pulling this stuff out of the ether. It's about accessing um, a plan for the world, which unless it is headed off by people becoming aware of it, will unfold. So uh, predicting the future is not so much predicting the future, it's predicting the plan if the plan is not thwarted. And therefore, what I wrote in my books years ago is now happening because the plan is playing out, although now we're starting to get, hallelujah, um, ever greater pushback on it. So I, I saw in the early 90s that this, um, this shadowy network uh, was in operation. So obviously, my next question is, when did it start? Because um, it obviously was not five years ago or 10 years ago. So I, um, I started going back, and, and you can go back through the, the British Empire, back through the Roman Empire, you can get into, into Babylon and Sumer in what is now called Iraq. And you can, you can chart this um, through the ages, all the time gathering more and more and more uh, power on a global level. So um, you have the empires of the, the Babylonians, you have the empire of, of the Romans, you have the empire of the, uh, the British and the other European empires. And then you, you followed that with globalization and all the time as power in the world was more and more centralized and centralized and centralized, these this fewer and fewer people were dictating the lives of more and more people to the point where it's now global. Uh, so I looked at this and my next question was, well, there's got to be a unifying force that um, brings this together, because what you've got is people being born, playing a part in this cabal, what I call the global cult now. Um, and then dying and other people taking it on and the same process going on and on and on. And there had to be some unifying force. And um, then I uh, started to realize the because uh, all these things have to be encompassed to really get a, a grasp on what's actually going on. Then you start to realize that actually the world we think is the world is actually only a tiny band of frequency that the five senses, like the visual senses, can decode. And according to mainstream science, the, uh, the electromagnetic spectrum is about 0.005% of what exists in the universe. And visible light, which is the only frequency band that we can see, is a smear of the 0.005%. So 
obviously humans uh, it became clear to me are basically blind in the sense of what they can see in the space the energetic field that they are observing and decoding into this reality and then uh, again very synchronistically especially after i went to america and really spent a lot of time there after 1996 in 1996 and onwards i started coming across more and more um, information from people many and various kinds including insiders of the industrial military intelligence complex might call it that actually the network that i'd identified by then was ultimately being controlled uh, from outside of this reality and it was being controlled by a non-human force and i then started to look back i thought well hold on a minute if if this is true then this is obviously not been going on for five minutes again so there must be evidence for it in the ancient world the ancients must be must have been talking about this so i started scanning ancient legends and accounts and you find an extraordinary common theme in which they are describing this and they 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 call this force different names and when historians and anthropologists have gone into these cultures they've taken these different quote gods to be um just the gods of the the, the tribe or the the culture um, but when you listen to how they're described and how others in other parts of the world describe their, quote, gods, manipulating from the unseen, the, it, the common themes are absolutely com stunningly compelling. So you have the Gnostics talking about a non-human force called the Archons, Greek for rulers, which uh, is manipulating humanity. Um, you have um, Christians talking about uh, demons. You have the Gnostics talking ab about the Archons, which are basically the demons uh, of Christianity. You have Islam talking about the jinn manipulating this reality from beyond human sight. Then I went to South Africa and I met a, a Zulu shaman called Credo Mutwa, who told me about uh, what they call the Chittahori, the children of the serpent, uh, uh, that were manipulating humanity from the unseen. And you start to put this together. And, and what you need, what you need is no preconceived idea. If you've got a preconceived idea of A, what's going on, and B, you have uh, a belief system which repels all borders and will not go anywhere outside that belief system, there is no way in the world that we are going to uncover what's really going on because the answers lie well beyond any of that stuff. And so what I've, what I've done, I've, I've basically said to people, this is what I've found. Make of it what you will. I am the last person on earth that wants you to, con to convince you of anything because this world is drowning and historically it has been drowning in people seeking to impose their belief system on other people and what it does and my god are we experiencing it now what that does is stop the free flow of information and opinion from which we can all learn from each other so you had the um the, the 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 mass killing of people 
uh, through the, the religions of those that um, were having a different view of the religions with the, of life, with the inquisitions, etc. But what have we got today, Lee? We've now got the global inquisition uh, of um, one narrative, i.e. authorities narrative, being um, protected, because the only way it can be, because it's a nonsense, um, through absolutely hysterical uh, extreme levels of censorship. And, and it's the same process all through. It's just taking a different form and now it's gone global, but it's the same th thing that's gone on throughout human history. You have a narrative, you want to enforce it on others so you stop anyone else having a different opinion or at least expressing it. Uh, and it, in that way, we have got to a point where we believe absolute absurdities because A, people believe them without question because they don't uh, think they should be questioned because authorities told them. And then we have another group that believes absurdities or at least uh, uh, makes out it does because it's terrified of saying anything to challenge the absurdity. And you can see the absurdities now in, in terms of, uh, of, of biology and, and, and all the rest of it. But it's like Voltaire said, people who will commit, uh, who will believe absurdities will commit atrocities. Because once you start believing absurdities, either because you don't question them or you're frightened of questioning them, then your mind has been handed over to authority. And from that connection, they can make you commit uh, atrocities, uh, which is uh, what history is littered with. You know, th that's a great explanation. And thank you for that. Uh, when I started listening to a number of these talks lately, I've listened to by you. I've been a full fan for about 30 years of the British philosopher, Alan Watts, the Zen Buddhist philosopher. And I detected uh, an influence on you. Was I making that up in my head? Or am I correct that you've been influenced to some extent by Alan Watts? Well, that's a very interesting point because um, it took me a long time to find Alan Watts. And um, I, I had concluded a lot of things about the reality and, uh, uh, and consciousness and um, the way the psyche works. And, um, and then I came across him and uh, it was extremely confirmatory of uh, and confirming of what, um, of what I concluded. So there is a heck of a lot that he said that I, um, I, I would go along with absolutely for sure. But it wasn't that I heard him and then came to conclusions. I came to conclusions and then heard him, uh, which is the best way of doing it, because then, you know, it's 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 confirming your uh, conclusion rather than delivering your conclusion. No, that's a good point. And I, I've talked lately on the show about my concern is that one of Alan Watts's point, he he worried about the post-industrial the killing of spirituality and the rejection of, of everything spiritual. But on the other hand, he was not a believer in conventional religion. And it's the out of the frying pan into fire. I know you're, as someone who's concerned about globalization, you see what's become of environmental concerns and how global warming 
is being used as a tool of control. Yeah. But I know that in your uh, back in the nineties, you you would frequently talk about concerns you had about the health of the planet, right? Yeah. Environment, right. Yeah, and that's that, yeah, that's a, that's a very good point because I've I've just got a, a book. It's just coming off the. Uh, I'm sorry, you you cut out. David, you were saying you just have a book. David Ike, you were saying? Okay, so you're saying about the book you have coming out. Yeah, well, that's a good question because uh, I've got a, a book just coming off the printers now called The Trap, which um, goes really, really deep into the nature of what the trap is, which is much deeper than just the world that we see. Uh, and the first three chapters are um, biographical for reasons that are, are clear in the book. And it, it, allow me to kind of look at my my life before I uh, had my awakening to a, another reality in 1990 and then the Wogan show followed in um, 1991 and I, I started to see well I've seen it before but it was really blatant to me as I, I wrote those three chapters that my life before was giving me what I needed before this whole thing became conscious to me in 1990. For instance, um, I was um, a footballer and I, um, I had to play as a professional footballer with rheumatoid arthritis for uh, much of my career. And um, so uh, you need some serious determination to, uh, to play professional football with rheumatoid arthritis, I can tell you especially on cold English mornings when you're, uh, you're warming up for training uh, and we're in agony every morning. So that triggered a real determination in me not to go under. And then I became a journalist, a written journalist in newspapers and radio and then television with the BBC. So I was able to see how the media worked. And, and then I, I got involved in environmental um, campaigning and then politics. For, for a short time and it, in a ridiculously short time. I mean, it was just crazy, man. I, um, I, I joined the Green Party uh, not long after it had been uh, changed its name from the Ecology Party. And through a series of the most extraordinary, uh, quote, coincidences, I, I was a national spokesman for it in Britain within literally a matter of weeks. Uh, it, it was ridiculous. And I didn't stay long because in that period when I was a national spokesman for the Green Party, uh, there was um, the, the Green Party in Britain got its biggest vote um, ever, got two million votes in the European elections of uh, what was it, 1989, something around that time. And uh, that wasn't because of me, it was because there was a lot of things going on uh, highlighting environmental concerns at the time. And it was a bit of a protest vote, but um, it was... Uh, it, it, it got me into national politics for a very short time. 
but in those days, and this is the reason I got involved with the Green uh, Party, uh, the Green Movement was about environmental concerns. It was about uh, what deforestation, it was about pollution. It's about polluting rivers, about putting chemicals in rivers that were turning fish uh, uh, to another sex, you know. Uh, and what it's become is a vehicle, just like the whole woke mentality, for imposing the will of this global cult, the global agenda of this global cult, uh, while the green movement and the wokers claim to be anti-establishment they're actually promoting everything that establishment wants and so the whole focus of environmental concerns and and you know you you, you look at the the, the 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 masks in the the, the covid uh, era uh, i mean the green party that i was involved in the green movement i was involved in in the 80s 1980s would have been kicking off about all the all these bloody masks everywhere and in the in the oceans and in the rivers, but not this one. This has been completely and utterly uh, absorbed um, into this whole system. So now its focus is on only what it claims to be human caused global uh, warming, climate change, which is being justified or is being used to justify the very uh, uh, global agenda that I've been exposing all these years. But when I look back at my life, um, that was a very important part of my life, really, because it allowed me to see politics from the inside for a start, so I could see that actually it was uh, uh, never going to be a, a way of changing anything for the better. Uh, that has to be done directly by the population, not by politics. Politics is not there to instigate positive change on behalf of the people it's there to stop it as we're now seeing i mean you know i've been talking for decades about the fact that we live in one party states uh masquerading as political choice and now it's becoming bloody obvious whether it's britain america or every, anywhere so it also allowed me to see and it wasn't anything like as extreme then nothing like as extreme as it is now but it allowed me to see the um the mentality of the, the, the green movement uh, and the naivety of it. Uh, and it's gone on to become just a, a vehicle for everything that I'm trying to challenge, which is, uh, which is ironic, but it, it was a, a real great experience to see it from the inside. That, that's fantastic. And when's the book coming out? It'll be out at the end of July. Yeah. Um, that's great. And uh, it's, it's going very, very deep into um, into all this, um, and uh, because uh, <laughs> the world is not just a little bit not like we thought it was. It's nothing whatsoever like we thought it was. We're only skimming the surface when we see the the world that we see and think is the you know human society. Right, but so many people don't see that part yet. I'm, you know, as we look at politics about, I would say half of people or more are still in denial about things that are clearly like a, a good number in the United States of Democrats still basically believe Russiagate and still repeat those lies. Now, as a reporter, I had covered Russiagate and the stuff I found that was related directly to your work, I was the only reporter I knew 
who tied a lot of this back to and proved it, Bill Clinton's experience at Oxford in 1969. So before we get to Bill Clinton and Oxford, and I'll mention some of that stuff, you supplied brilliant and important history about what led up to that. In other words, the history of Oxford, their role in the Rhodes Scholarship and so on, and in making modern political world. Could you explain some of that stuff, the Anglo-Americanism that happened in the 19th century that led to Oxford being a center of, I, I think it's fair to say, the globalists, the, the think tanks, like the Council on Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission, and these roundtable groups. Can you yeah. talk for a second about what led up to that in the 19th century? Well, uh, there, there, uh, there's a couple of things to that. First of all, I mentioned about the, the way that this, this cult has passed through history, gathering more and more and more power until now it's uh, global. And I mentioned the British Empire. So you had this network, it came, uh, well, it, it goes back further, but you can pick it up in Babylon, Sumer, you can take it through the Roman Empire, uh, which went, of course, into Northern Europe. And then uh, this followed much later with the empires of Europe. And the empires of Europe, especially the British, was when this cult really went global. Because there, there came a point where um, the headquarters of this cult located in the UK. Uh, and this is why you can hardly see the British Isles on a globe, and yet it had an empire on which the sun never set. I mean, hello, how does that be? Because this cult was, was based in London, it still massively is. And so it accumulated a network, uh, a, a central network, uh, what I call the spider. And, and how, this, how it works is that if you can see uh, or visualize a spider's web with a spider in the center, the spider is driving the global agenda and much of it is being driven out of the UK. There are other areas of the world too, but massively the UK. Uh, and the, the strands in the web are secret societies, semi-secret groups, and um, think tanks, NGOs, and also governments, government agencies, banking systems, etc. cetera. Um, and the, the strands immediately around the spider are the most secretive, the most exclusive secret societies. They will know what the real agenda is and what's really behind it. And then you come out from those, um, from the spider, and you, you're entering still in the hidden, you're entering the realms of secret societies we do know about. Opus uh, Dei, uh, the Knights of Malta, the Knights Templar, the inner core, it is the inner core of the Freemasons, the inner core of the Jesuit order, and, and on and on it goes. Um, and then you come out um, to uh, coming out from the spider, you hit that point in the web that I call the cusp. And this is the cusp where the hidden meets the scene. And at that cusp, you've got 
the Bilderberg Group, Council on Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission. Um, you've got um, the Club of Rome, which was created in 1968 specifically to exploit environmental concerns to justify centralization of global power. This is the whole um, human caused climate change hoax that we've been uh, talking about. Um, but also um, at the cusp is this just explosion now of think tanks and NGOs um, and their job of the CUSP organization, they, they, these are the, you know, massively funded by people like Soros, the, the CUSP organizations are there to take the agenda coming out of the hidden and to play it out into the scene, the world of governments, government agencies, uh, banking systems, corporations, media, all, all of this, Silicon Valley. And so what happens is when you get out into the world of the scene, to the public, everything looks random and everything looks unconnected from everything else. So, for instance, you've got the World Health Organization uh, in and of itself, and then you've got Facebook and Twitter in and of itself. You've got the British government and the American government in and of itself. That's how it looks to, to most people. If you take the web structure into account, it's not like that at all, because this web connects them all. So you would kind of struggle to explain why, as independent organizations, that when the World Health Organization came out with its narrative about COVID and what should be done in response to it, that Silicon Valley corporations would say, uh, right at the start, we are going to censor any information put on our platforms that questions, challenges, etc. The World Health Organization version of everything, uh, and the 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 National Health um, Organization's version of everything, which is indeed the World Health Organization version of everything. Why would they do that? They're supposed to be platforms that are there. To, to let the free flow of opinion. That's what they said they were created to do. So why would they do that? Makes no sense, but it does. If the inner core of the Silicon Valley corporations, Facebook, Twitter, Google, YouTube, are controlled by this cult web, which they are, they, indeed they were created by it in terms of uh, Facebook and Google, et cetera. And the World Health Organization was create, created and is controlled by this web, then what's happening is the web is defending its uh, World Health Organization narrative from being exposed through its Silicon Valley corporations. So you look at the World Health Organization, it was created by the Rockefellers in 1948. Um, uh, it's uh, who, who created the big pharma cartel through JD Rockefeller, the oil tycoon. It's now the World Health Organization run by Bill Gates uh, through funding. Bill Gates is a Rockefeller family gopher. That's, what, that's why he, he's become so successful. His, far, his father was very close to the Rockefellers. He, indeed, his father was involved with Planned Parenthood that came out of the eugenics movement and, and was funded into existence with Rockefeller money. So everything that you think um, is random is actually coordinated. So. The big pharma cartel is owned by the web. It was created by the web, the cult web. 
And it goes to the regulatory agencies of government like the FDA in America and the CDC and the MHRA in, in Britain. And what you've got is the big pharma cartel like Pfizer, Moderna, asking the, uh, controlled by the cult, created by the cult, asking cult-controlled regulatory agencies like the CDC and the FDA for permission to use their vaccines, or, uh, fake vaccines actually, on the population. And what's happening is the cult web is asking the cult web for permission to advance the cult agenda. This is what's going on when you see how it's all connected. And so much of that is coming out of Britain, not Bill, uh, Johnson's government, uh, Boris Johnson's government, it's just, just, just puppets like all governments. But the secret society web is massively uh, uh, centered in Britain. So you look at um, the city of London, the financial district, which is basically a Vatican city. It's a law unto itself. Um, and it's to a, such a large extent driving the, 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 the financial level of this web, which is massively involved, of course, in human control, control the money, you control choice, you control freedom. And you've got um, the, uh, the area of London called the Temple, which is literally named after a Knights Templar temple that was put there in, uh, in the, uh, the 13th century, uh, and is still there now, it was featured in the Da Vinci uh, films um, of Dan Brown. And that area of the temple is the center of the legal profession in Britain, and to such a large extent, dictates the legal profession much further afield globally. Uh, and uh, every, then you come to Oxford, you mentioned Oxford. So all these kind of universities were, were created in, um, in, in, in you know, long ago, and they were also created by this cult out, uh, in, uh, centered in Britain. And they, to such a large extent, dictate the education system worldwide so you know you 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 uh, and i have you drive um to uh, yale university uh in connecticut and it's like you it's like you're driving through oxford <laughs> that area that whole area is like you're driving through oxford they don't call it new england for no reason um and 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 then you you had this move out of the uk out of britain to uh relocate or expand into North America. So they expanded into what we now call Canada. The head of state in Canada is still the queen of England, Britain. And they moved in on the United States and were behind the creation of the United States. Uh, and, and so Britain is a real big center. And, you know, you, um, you can chart the, uh, the towards the end of the um, 19th century, uh, the uh, the Rothschilds, and it was the Rothschilds, created a secret society in London called the Round Table, and um, the first head of the Round Table was Cecil Rhodes, and Cecil Rhodes plundered Southern Africa infamously. Uh, for the Rothschilds, and out of that came the gold mines and the diamond mines and the slavery of, of, of uh, Africa. And then the Round Table um, started to 
um, spawn satellite organizations. It, it, it spawned the Institute, uh, the Royal Institute of International Affairs in London. It spawned in 1921, the Council on Foreign Relations. It spawned the Trilateral Commission, it spawned the Bilderberg Group, it spawned the United Nations through this uh, London-based, uh, UK-based secret society, the Round Table. Um, and interestingly, um, the so-called Balfour Declaration, when the British government um, in uh, the time of the Second World War, sorry, the First World War. 1917, um, yeah. Yeah, agreed to um, support a, a Jewish homeland in Israel or Palestine as it was then. Um, that declaration, it's the Balfour Declaration. So it's, what did he do? Did he stand up in parliament and declare it? No, no. The Balfour Declaration was a letter sent by Lord Balfour, an inner circle member of the round table, to Lord Rothschild, who created and funded the round table. So it was two members of the same elite secret society swapping a letter, a letter that was almost certainly uh, written by another member of the round table and not Balfour himself. So all these things, they have a, a level that you see and the level that history tells you about and tells you why they happened and all that. And then you have this underbelly in the shadows where why they happened and how they happened is totally and utterly different. And um, so you have the Rhodes scholarships uh, to Oxford University where carefully chosen young people in America are given Rhodes scholarships to um, to attend Oxford University, and as you mentioned, Bill Clinton was certainly um, uh, uh, one of them, because uh, they, they picked these people very early. I mean, what's come out more recently is this World Economic Forum Young Leaders School, uh, and how many uh, quote leaders, puppet leaders, in political power, whether it's Trudeau in uh, Canada, Macron in France. Um, Ardern in, um, in New Zealand and so on, uh, were um, graduates of this uh, World Economic Forum Klaus Schwab Young Leaders School. They're put, they're br they bring them through, they program them, they train them into this whole agenda, and then they make sure through manipulation they go into positions of political power. So someone like Bill Clinton would have been um, highlighted for the presidency a long, long time before ever they, um, they mentioned his name in that regard. So he becomes uh, governor for Arkansas and then goes to the presidency. Soon as they started talking about boy George Bush as a possible president, I actually said uh, in the books, in, in the talks, this guy's the next president of the United States because they're chosen, not through obviously intelligence in this case, but they're chosen. His father, um, Father George Bush, chosen head of the CIA and, and onto the vice presidency and then presidency. Uh, the, 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 the world is so different to, to what people think it is. And um, these so-called elected people are not elected, they are selected. And then everything is done to get them 
elected, not these scamming elections like the last one in America. Well, since you mentioned the CIA, would I be fair to say that I think the CIA and MI6, the deep state in America, is in some ways the espionage and military arm of what you call the spider? 100%. Yeah, and, and this is the other thing. Going back to that web um, structure, and it's, it's so perfect because it is literally how it works. So you've got MI5 and MI6, okay? They're the British intelligence uh, agency, right? Yeah, okay. And then you've got CIA, that's the American intelligence agency. Yeah, that's right. And then you've got this, well, that's Germany's, right? Yeah, well, it doesn't know how it works like that. You, you know, everything is fiercely compartmentalized, uh, you know, appropriately, exactly like a secret society. So if you take a secret society, um, it's compartmentalized in terms of knowledge through what they call degrees. Take the Freemasons, it's a, it's a classic example, but they all work like this. So the people at the top know, th know, know uh, information, they have knowledge, which the people at the bottom don't have. And you're only allowed to get to the next level of knowledge if that next level thinks you are worthy of it and safe to have it. Uh, and and the whole structure works like this. So you take an, uh, an intelligence agency that will be fiercely compartmentalized, whether it's MI6, MI5, CIA, National Security Agency, whatever. Um, but if you go deep enough into it, you go to the core. At that core, they all meet. The CIA is British intelligence, is German intelligence, is Australian intelligence and so on. And there was a journalist um, who went public. Uh, you, I'm sure you'll remember this uh, just a few years ago. Uh, and he was um, saying that uh, all his career, basically, he, had, he was writing for a major German newspaper, that um, he was actually writing scripts that had been written for him um, and putting his name to them. And they were all propaganda. And he thought, I can't do this anymore. I've got to speak out. And I remember him being interviewed on RT a few times. Um, well, what did he say? What did he say? He didn't say that German intelligence was providing his scripts. He said the CIA were. He's a German journalist. Because at that inner core point, they're all the same. And this is now, how it works. Now, are you familiar with uh, Mikhail Khodorkovsky? Uh, not immediately. Okay, Mikhail Khodorkovsky. Some, when I tell you stuff about him, you can obviously look into this. Everything I'm saying is confirmable. Mikhail Khodorkovsky at one point was the richest man in Russia in the 90s after the Soviet Union fell. He bought Yukos Oil, the biggest oil company in Russia, at per pennies on a dollar after doing a scam where he bought the bank that was auctioning it. Mikhail Khodorkovsky, I've been saying for years, is right at the center of Russiagate, and you never hear about him. A couple of facts about Khodorkovsky. In 2005, there was a Senate resolution, Senate Resolution 322, ring a bell? Senate Resolution 322, that's the name of it, in 2005, where Joe Biden put one in, in favor of Mikhail Khodorkovsky. What he had done is he bought this oil company and after 
Putin came into power, he said, stop trying to buy the government. He told all the oligarchs, stop trying to buy the government. And Mikhail Khodorkovsky didn't stop. So he was put in jail. And Khodorkovsky, when he went to jail, guess who gave the controlling interest in Yugoslav oil to? Jacob Rothschild. Right. <laughs> Is it? And Jacob Rothschild, previous to that, was on the board of the Carlisle Group. Yeah. And he was introduced. George Bush, the father, yeah. Right. And he was introduced by Henry Kissinger. So Mikhail Khodorkovsky has, has been, it's like a black hole. You don't see him, you have to look for him. But he's all over Russiagate. He funded Bill Browder and the Magnitsky Act. He's on the, the pay, payments for it. And so when you talk about the Rothschilds, I'm showing that they're right at the center of the Russiagate scandal. And obviously you're on Radio Sputnik, so you don't, I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but you obviously don't buy into the propaganda hook, line, and sinker about Russia. No, I, I, I could see through Russiagate the moment they played that card. I mean, it was so obvious. I mean, they're not even good at it, which, which in terms of uh, making it credible. And I, I think to an ex extent, uh, uh, they've misread. What they've done is they have played a, a, as if public awareness today is the same as it's ever been. So basically, they don't have to try too hard because the, the, the unwashed masses will believe anything. And what do you think the spider has out for Russia? Have you ever, because I, of course, working for Sputnik, I've thought about this more than most people, but I've tried to figure out their obsessive hatred towards Russia. And I've never been able to figure it out exactly. Have you been able to put your finger on anything? Well, I've, I've been writing for a long time uh, now, decades, that the plan is uh, to push China and Russia together and then play them off against the West in a, in a conflict, in a world conflict, and, uh, a, a, an economic conflict, as well as uh, uh, a military conflict. Uh, and uh, this uh, is designed to be a massive, uh, what I call problem reaction solution to justify um, saying, we've got to stop wars ever happening again. So, what we need to do, we need to have a world government and we need to have a world army and dismantle all national armies. We need to have a world central bank, a world currency. Well, that's, I said that in 1993, the cashless world currency was coming. Uh, and, um, the, um, and, and that um, the whole of what, we, what, what Swab is calling the Great Reset is actually, um, the creation of a global um, centralized, in the end, unelected technocracy uh, in which a few at the center will dictate the lives of 8 billion people, or currently there's 8 billion people anyway. Uh, and so they do want uh, to bring about a conflict between the East and the West. And I can, it's kind of, um, you know, indicated in, in Orwell's writings in, in, in many ways in 1984. Uh, and so if you look at what uh, is happening now um, geopolitically, 
is that Russia and China are getting closer and closer. Um, and and when you've got a situation where, because uh, what they want to do, this is what the culture is doing. It wants to dismantle the West. It wants an end to, the, to Western culture. This is why Soros is funding the, uh, as funded for decades, uh, what has led to an open in the period of Biden's southern border. This is why uh, the, the borders of Europe have been opened uh, because they want to bring an end to um, what we call the West and Western culture. Because the thing to, to grasp about this cult is it's not, it doesn't have borders. There are no borders. That's for public consumption. It's a global um, entity and it's not um, attached to the West. It's not attached to Russia. It's not attached to China. It culturally, it just is, is um, doing whatever's necessary, wherever it's necessary to bring about this um, monoculture, global uh, fascist, communist dictatorship, whatever you want to use, which um, is designed to have control imposed through technology, thus technocracy. And so um, the current events, you've had um, the the COVID um, card played, that's an absolute bloody hoax that was, is, uh, and they, they, they then bring in the lockdowns and that what the lockdowns did was, was, was massively hold below the waterline, the world economy, especially the Western economy. And what they've gone on doing since is because of all the money that uh, fresh air created out of nothing money that they poured into responding to quote COVID, they were putting enormous um, inflation into the system. This was all systematic, because the idea was to bring an end to countries at the end. There won't be any countries uh, under a world government dictatorship. Um, and, and then what did Biden do? And this, 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 because all these dots connect, then he's, he, he, he starts to use human caused global warming, the hoax to justify um, closing down pipelines in America, oil pipelines, to stop the exploration for more fossil fuel um, resources on, on federal land. Um, he does everything from day one to um, turn America from um, energy independent to energy dependent. Then when uh, what happened, what's going on in, um, in Ukraine started, uh, they then say, led by Biden, but I mean, it's not Biden, it's this guy called Ron Klain, who's his um, White, White House chief of staff. He's running the government, not, not Biden, we don't know what day it is. But then you have the other, these other European leaders, we must sanction Russia. But yeah, okay then. So um, what are you going to do? Well, we're imposing these sanctions and these sanctions, these sanctions, we are going to bring Russia to its knees. And what has been the outcome of those sanctions to bring the Western economy to its knees? Because now you've got the, uh, not least the Russia and China, uh, China have got much closer to, uh, to Russia because, I mean, not least because they've got an energy supply. So have, so have India. They're, they're getting uh, uh, cheap oil from, uh, from Russia. And the West, well, the pump prices of, of energy, fuel is going through the stratosphere. And, and it's, it's, it's in, it, it inserting extraordinary levels of inflation coming, still we have now, but coming into the system.
which is which is bringing people to their knees. They can't afford food. They can't afford to go to work because they can't afford to drive there. Do you know we that there's police forces in America who are saying we can't respond to all the calls now because we can't afford the fuel. That's right. So, so these are sanctions that are not targeting Russia. Uh, they are tar- uh, 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 primarily they're targeting the West, and and they're dismantling Western Western society, and it's being done on purpose. And in terms of the cultural change, if you want to bring down a society, who do you target first? Do you target the minority groups? No, no. You target the predominant, in terms of number, racial group. So they're targeting white people. So now we have this white supremacy uh, um, propaganda. Uh, and so the idea is that you marginalize and, and bring it under submission, the predominant racial group of the West, and then once you've done that, then you start targeting the minority groups and pick them off. Um, and so, you know, that there's this great line, uh, you know who's controlling you and you know what their agenda is by who you cannot criticize and what you cannot criticize. So you cannot criticize um, human caused global warming because that's the agenda. You couldn't criticize the COVID hoax because that's the agenda. Uh, and you can't, you, you can't criticize minority groups, but say what the hell you like about um, white people. There's no political correct defense for white people. So you know who they're targeting and, and, and on that basis alone. And then you look at, um, I mean, you know, I don't, I'm, not a, 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 I'm not a Christian, but if you look at the history of Western society, weaved through it for historical reasons is Christianity and the Christian religion. And so um, if you um, want to dismantle that society, you want to pull the cards out of the the pyramid, then you, um, you target what holds that society together. So you're targeting white people and, and you're targeting Christianity. You, you can say what you like about Christianity. There is no political correct defense for Christianity. But minority group religions, oh no, that's hate speech. And then you look at the British royal family. You know, the royal families have served this cult magnificently because they have been a way of imposing control um, just by bloodline, just by succession. Um, and then they, you know, the, the, the human uh, population eventually um, matured enough to start saying, we want some saying this. And a lot of the royal families disappeared, not the one in Britain. But you look at Britain, you, you want to dismantle Britain as a society in the way that it is run now as part of your Great Reset which doesn't include, you know, subsidiary control systems like uh, royalty and being a head of state purely by your bloodline. So if you uh, look at Britain, we don't have a government of the people. We have Her Majesty's government. We don't have an opposition to the government. We have, quote, 
Her Majesty's Most Loyal Opposition. That's what it's called officially. Currently, the Labour Party, which is uh, the, 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 the absolutely uh, an organisation that doesn't oppose anything that the cult wants. Um, and, and you look at all the institutions, it's Her Majesty's Treasury, Her Majesty's uh, Border um, Department, Her Majesty's Environment Department, and so on and so forth. Um, and so if you want to pull lots and lots of cards out of British society, which would mean it has to be completely rewritten and redrawn, then you take the royal family out of it. And um, I, I've been saying for right now for a few years that we're, we're, we're looking at, not tomorrow, but we are looking at the end of uh, the British royal family. So once the Queen's gone, um, what's left is Prince Charles, who's very, very unpopular. Then there's uh, Prince William, who's uh, had a charisma bypass. And then you going down to his children, which are very young. Uh, this, it's a rump royal family once the Queen's gone. And of course, she's not gonna be around for very much longer. And so all these things are coming together and the, 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 the common theme of all of them, and of course, then you've got the Commonwealth, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the head of state, well, that, that changes. So those, those societies change when the royal family is, um, is uh, dismantled. And all these things come under the, uh, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, the borders or whatever, it's the dismantling of Western society. And so, uh, for instance, if you look at China, they're demanding that their military and their male population become more and more male and testosterone driven, if you like. Whereas in America and other Western countries, this woke mentality is creating weak people, weak men, weak people in general, weak young people who are terrified of their own shadow. And when you're terrified of something, you look to uh, authority to protect you. So you give your power away to authority. Um, and, and you've got this um, transgender uh, craziness. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I don't know whether you saw, Lee, this, um, this survey was out in the last two weeks, where um, they showed that the number of people in America, young people, who are um, saying they identify with another um, gender has absolutely soared in the very same period of this transgender uh, uh, insanity. That's not to say if people feel in their own body, they ought to be supported, but that's not what this is about. This is not about responding to people who naturally think they're in the wrong body. This is about making more and more kids believe they are as part of this whole agenda, which is very big, and I've talked about it elsewhere. But what this survey found was that while um, the number of uh, young people identifying with a different gender had um, increased dramatically, it increased dramatically in states controlled by the Democrats. In other words, they were woke crazy. But in the, in the Republican controlled states, the um, the number of the increase was was tiny by comparison to the democratic states, which tells you this, it's not a natural phenomenon. It's a programmed propaganda indoctrination phenomenon. And that's being done on purpose. 
And uh, look, look at what they're doing to the American military. It's all about woke and, and inclusivity and, uh, and what have you, um, which is not what it appears to be inclusivity. Uh, and so you've got this uh, moronic um, head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff um, who will talk for ages about transgender and wokery in the military and how we need to have more of it uh, and, and talks very little about, you know, what, the debacle in, um, in Afghanistan and elsewhere. So they're actually destroying the American military um, internally through this uh, infusion of woke nonsense, and it's all connected, all of it. Now, David Ike, we're about out of time. This is absolutely fantastic, and thank you for your time. It was every bit as great as I hope it would be. Let me leave you with one question. It's an important one. Do you, you've been doing this for decades. Do you have any hope? Do you have any sign that the spider may not succeed, David oh, Ike. Oh, oh yes, yes. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be worth me keeping doing it, really. I mean, I'm I'm seventy now. Um, I mean, I'm going to be around a long time yet. But um, I mean, I, I wouldn't give the rest of my life as I've given the last thirty-two years of it if I thought it was a done deal. At least, absolutely not a done deal. And and what tells you that is is simple mathematics. If you go to the core of the core of this cult globally, you would get them in a single room. Um, and the vast majority of people in the pyramid are compartmentalized from the knowledge of what's really happening and why. Uh, and thus they are doing things and playing a part in their own enslavement and the enslavement of their children and grandchildren, uh, while really having no idea that's what they're doing. Uh, this is what compartmentalization does. It, makes you ignorant of how your contribution connects to everyone else's contribution to 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 present a very sinister picture that doesn't appear to be with your single contribution to be that sinister um and so you've got coming up eight billion people and you've got by comparison a handful of people who in full knowledge are driving this and um this is why they're terrified of the population becoming aware of the things and many other things that we've been talking about today. They're terrified of it. So I, I, this mass censorship, this hysterical censorship is not coming from a point of strength. It's not, it's coming from a point of weakness. Strong people who are confident of their narrative and confident to debate it and confident to um, to have it challenged, don't want to um, censor anybody because they know if anyone is censored, it means that they don't have freedom of speech anymore. They only have the freedom to conform to what the censors say you can and cannot say. So one person's freedom of speech is everybody's freedom of speech, in fact. And so the reason they're censoring and ever more hysterically is because they know their narrative will not stand up to scrutiny, debate, and um, exposure. And so as more and more people become aware of 
these things we're talking about, and my God, more and more people are, it's, it's off the Richter scale compared with what it used to be. Um, they have to in, engage in more and more censorship to try to keep the lid um, on the can. Uh, but how long are they gonna be able to continue to do that? It's more, I, I, I know that I've gone from being laughed at in the street in 1990, 91, 92, 93, 94, to now being stopped by endless people wherever I go, asking to talk to me about what's going on and, and to discuss it with me. Um, the, the, the difference is, is absolutely um, amazing. And we're talking about all kind of walks of life now starting to get this. Uh, and, and so I'm confident that there are gonna be many challenges coming. Oh my God, there are, and not least economic. But I'm confident that we are going to bring this down because the point is we, the people, are holding it together. Our compliance is what's holding this thing together. A few people cannot control billions unless the billions are compliant to the few. We don't need to... Um, become violent we just need to stop cooperating you know if if someone comes out of downing street or the white house and says we've had a discussion and this is what's going to happen if enough people say we're not doing that we're not doing that no way it's unenforceable you know we started out when 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 covid started uh, the covid card was played more more uh, accurately where a few people were standing on the streets in lockdown um, protesting. And the police would come along and just arrest them and take them away. So small was their number. By the, uh, the September, August, September of 2020, there were 40,000 people in Trafalgar Square. By um, the, uh, the spring of 2021, hundreds of thousands of people were walking through the streets of London. And where were the police then? They were standing on the side of the road watching us go by because their numbers were so great, there's nothing they could do. And, and when the penny drops, that the power is with us and the only power that these people have over us is actually the power we give to them every day in the form of acquiescence, then the house of cards will come down because it's a contract. It's a perceptual contract. Authority has power. No, it has power that we give away to it. And so there are three types of people in the world that allow tyranny to reign and to stop tyranny. One is the group that just does what authority tells it without question. Uh, never questions anything, authority tells them they do it. Then there's the next group which can, see that they're actually they're being lied to and they really don't want to do what they're being told but they fear the consequences of not doing it and so they comply and those two groups the unquestioning and the compliant through fear have been responsible for every tyranny in human history because it's not the tyrants it's not the fascists that impose fascism it's there's never enough of them it's the population that acquiesce to fascism that bring fascism in. 
And then there's this other group, the third group, and that's the group that can see they're being lied to and will not cooperate with that which is lying to them. And they're the group that has ended every tyranny in history. And the bigger that group becomes, the more fearful uh, will this cult become. And it's becoming fearful now because that group is getting bigger. Uh, and what we need to do is, is get this group that can see some of it, doesn't want to do it, but is frightened of not doing it, to summon some backbone and join group three, and then we'll bring this down. Um, I'm, I'm more confident now than I've ever been that this is coming down, but there's some big challenges to come. And let's end on that positive note. David Ike, fantastic appearance, great interview. And I say this, and I really mean it, an honor and a privilege to talk to you. David Ike, thanks very much. Thanks very much, Lee. Stage one, you create a problem. It could be uh, a manufactured virus. You want a reaction and you want them to either say, do something, or you want them to accept what the authorities suggest must be done. So one of the agendas is to massively cull the population. They want to reduce the numbers.